Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. So we are almost done on our, in our series of a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? So let me remind you where we've been up to this point, okay? A healthy church is a grounded church. We know our foundation and we are built on that foundation. A healthy church is clear on her mission and her purpose. A healthy church is full of great faith and a healthy church is a praying church. A healthy church is a worshiping church a unified church, and a well-led church. A healthy church is a generous church. And today, a healthy church is a going and sowing church. So, going and sowing. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins to teach a crowd of people. And to set up the scene, he is um, gathering, or he begins to teach, and the crowd becomes so large that he gets into a boat, pushes off just a little bit, and then begins to tell Parables In Mark chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we find this. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. I want you to take note right away that Jesus knew how to draw a crowd, but he did not know how to keep them. Think about that. He was awesome at drawing a crowd. He was the first seeker-sensitive preacher, except that he wasn't really all that worried about trying to keep them if it just meant keeping them for the sake of a crowd. What was really important to him was that the seed that was being sowed would be uh, transformational inside of their life. And so when I think about us as a church, what I really have to remind myself on a weekly basis is that it is not the number of butts in the seats. It's the number of hearts that are transformed by the transformational power of the gospel. And I want, to, I want to give us some freedom here today. And I want to give it to you. Jesus gave us some freedom. He's moved the responsibility of transformation off of us and onto himself. He has told us explicitly in scripture that our job is not to change anybody. Our job is simply to be a goer and a sower. So he had a large crowd and he began to teach. But notice how he taught. He began to teach with parables. This, again, tells us that he understood the kingdom of God. Of course, he should understand the kingdom of God. He's the king of the kingdom of God, right? What he understood was that the transformation happens when the gospel, when the power, when the word, when the seed is sown and it falls on good soil and God's spirit does a supernatural work inside of that person. And so he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. Now, this is a parable that we call the parable of the sower. And it's a parable that we oftentimes get misunderstood or we, we get confused about it because it raises some questions that, that sometimes create a conflict. One of those questions is, can a person be born again and then unsaved? So I follow Christ, but then I'm no longer saved. Is it possible to lose your salvation? That's one of the things that this passage tends to make people question or, or to think about. Another thing is, is when is a person saved? 
What's the timing of that? When, does it, when is a person actually born again? That's, that's uh, one of the things that we ask when we read this text. But what we need to start with is how someone is born again. They're born again because a seed is sown. And here is what I think is one of the main purposes of this text. It's to remind the disciples that their job is not the harvest. Their job is not the growth. Their job is simply to go and sow. How wonderful is that, guys? We get a chance to simply go and sow every single day. And I want to give you a little hint. At the end of this message, I'm going to share with you how in 2022, we really have gone and sawn. Okay, it didn't really work, did it? We, we go and sowed. We goed and sowed in 2022. That's, that's what, so, so hold that in your mind. You're, I think you're going to be blown away at the reach that as a church we have had opportunity to have. So he said, consider the sower who went to sow. In other words, think about this. The sower grabs his bag of seed and he goes out and he sows. Now, how does a sower sow? A sower sows by grabbing the seed and, and chunking it into the soil. Now, we sometimes think of it differently, though. We think that they're taking a seed and, you know, nobody who plants, plants that. Now, if you have a little dinky uh, raised bed in your, in, your, in your yard, maybe that's what you do. But if you're planting for a real harvest that is really going to feed a lot of people, you're not sowing by, this, by the single seed. You're sowing by the handfuls. Because here's the truth. The more you sow, the more will grow. The less you sow the less will grow. I mean, that's like obvious, right? But as you sow, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Now, the scripture uses that exact phrase to talk about giving, about generosity, about, about understanding our possessions. But it is a spiritual principle that applies to what we do with the word of God as well. If we are faithful in sowing God's word liberally, generously. When I say liberally, I'm not talking theologically liberally. I'm talking about generously. So the more we throw the word of God out there, the more it has a chance to hit the soil and grow. Now, the funny thing about sowing is, and about growing is that we, we oftentimes find the seed growing in places we never thought would grow. And we find it not growing in, thing, in places we thought would surely grow. You ever found that to be true in your life? You're like, how... I. I mean, like, take, take for instance, a, a kid. And you're looking at this kid and you're judging them, right? Let's just be honest. You're judging them. That kid's a spoiled, rotten brat. He's going to wind up in prison, right? He's going to be... And then they grow up to be this amazing human being. You're going, boy, I got that one wrong. Right? Right? And sometimes it's even in the midst of family dysfunction and turmoil and all that stuff. And you're like, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have seen that one coming? I sure didn't see it. I got that one wrong. And then you've got others where you're like, man, that kid is going to be the president of the United States one day. And they grow up to be a punk, right? Am I allowed to say that? I'm not saying specific kid. I'm not thinking of a specific person. But, you know, you're looking at it, you're going, how, how, did, how did that seed grow and that seed not? It's because of the soil in which it falls and because of the work of God inside of their life. The harvest is always a supernatural thing. Always. The pressure is relieved off of you and me. We're not judged by how many disciples we make. We're judged by the faithfulness of our sowing. When God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. What he's saying is, you went and you sowed generously. 
That's what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, you only brought four people to faith in Christ your entire life. Yeah, you did okay, but this guy brought thousands. No, no. The reward is for the sowing, not for the harvesting. Because you have nothing to do with the harvest. Nothing. As a preacher, that's a huge weight lifted off. Because my responsibility ends when I prepare and when I preach. The moment it leaves my mouth, that's on you. And that's wonderful. Because I know and I'm reminded that it's a work of God. Now, Jesus clarifies this in verse 26 of chapter 4. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. So Jesus explains it. He goes, look, this guy throws the seed out. Then he goes to bed and he wakes up and he goes to bed and he wakes up. And every day he goes out and he goes, I ain't got no idea how that's happening. I just, I, I just, hmm, that's a mystery to me. I don't get it. Now, we can look at science and we can know about photosynthesis and we can know about how the water and the soil and the pH balance. And we, can, we can know all of that stuff. But that works for farming. That doesn't work for, for, for the soul. You can't change the pH of somebody's soul. Now, I will say you can influence it. Now, how do you influence it? Well, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, right? It's God's kindness to others through our kindness to them. So, so as you're kind to people, that, that helps soften their heart. That helps to, to, to make the soil more ready to receive the word. But at the end of the day, that's all you can do. So when somebody doesn't listen to the word from you, you shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't necessarily even be frustrated. I mean, certainly we get frustrated because we want them to believe so badly. But your job is sowing. The question is, are you sowing? Are you sowing? I can answer the question corporately. We are sowing. We are sowing. And we're going we're gonna to sow even more as 2023 comes. And you're going you're gonna to look at 2022 and go, I had no idea. Prepare your mind. Prepare it. Because look around. There's no way a little church like this should have the influence that we have. I'm not bragging except to brag on God and to brag on your generosity and your faithfulness. I am bragging then. I'm bragging on that. I'm not bragging on us to say, oh, look at us. We're better than you. No, I'm saying God has done a good work in this place. Some have or, or it has been said that. The true power of a church is not or the true greatness of a church is not in its seating capacity, but in its Sending capacity. It would be better for us to have a hundred people fully surrendered to the gospel and fully surrendered to going and sowing than for us to have 5,000 people of people who come and sit and whose hearts are not moved at all. Because a hundred hands will do far more than 5,000 butts in the seats. Far, far more. So Jesus tells this story. He said, look, this sower goes out and sows. And as he sows... He says there are four places that, that this seed goes. The first one, some seed, verse 4, fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now this is an easy one. The sower sows and as he sows, it falls on a path. The birds immediately come and say, ooh, dinner. And they eat it up and there's no chance for it to get into the soil. So nothing grows at all. 
That's, that's the people who hear the word and it just bounces right off of their head and their heart. There's nothing there for it to start to take root. We see that a lot in this culture, don't we? We see it a whole lot. And that can be frustrating, but you have to remember, we have to remember that we don't control that. Now, I will say that how we sow does matter. I mean, if, if you're sowing in a way that's harsh, then you're, you're, you're working against the natural progression of the gospel. So if, if you're sowing in a way that's unkind, if you're sowing in a way that's, that's so dogmatic that it comes across as judgment, there's a lot of things we can do maybe better in sowing. But at the end of the day, for the majority of the seed, it's going to fall upon the path and it's going to be eaten by birds. That's just the way it is. Jesus said the harvest, or he said the, uh, the broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. Therefore, we understand that a lot of the seed is just going to be eaten right away. The second place that it falls, though, the second kind of soil, Jesus says, as he uh, sowed other seed, verse 5, fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. Now, at this point, we have to really ask the question, What's happening? What, what, what are we talking about that, that it started to grow? See, so oftentimes this passage is, is understood to mean that that's somebody who's saved. It, it goes into the, the seed goes into the soil and something grows. So we consider that wrongly, that somebody is born again, they're saved. But that's not what the passage is teaching. And that's why it creates conflict. Because somebody would say, well, look, they're saved. But then it says that very quickly, because the soil wasn't deep, it grew up and then um, it, it got scorched by the sun. So they were saved and, they, and then they were unsaved. But no, they weren't saved in the beginning. Because just because the seed is planted and just because something green comes up doesn't mean there's transformation. You're not born again until there's fruit that is evidence of being born again. Having a green sprig is not being born again. You want to know how I know that? Because I once was paid to weed my neighbor's garden when I was in high school. My neighbor said, hey, Jeff, uh, this garden, uh, it was a, a flower bed. If, if you'll weed it for me, I will, uh, I will pay you. And, of course, I would do just about anything for money. I mean, I just, I would work and do anything, most anything. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Like 20 bucks or something. It was back in the 90s, right? So I went out and I spent several hours weeding her, her flower beds. She came out. And she was mortified. I was like, what are you talking about? I picked everything that didn't have a flower on it. She said, you picked the real flowers and you left the weeds. Because in my mind, if it had a flower, it was a flower. And if it didn't have a flower, it was a weed. It was exactly the opposite, right? So just because it's green doesn't mean it's good. Just because it has a bud doesn't mean it's good. And, and so I judged incorrectly. In this passage, it's not saying that this person was born again, but it was shallow. And so they were unborn again. It's saying there was a spark. They were, they were going this way and the word was planted in them. The seed was sown and it, and it hit the, the soil and it began to, pick, you know, a little, little sprig of greenness, right? And so you kind of going like this going, let me tell let me hear more about this Jesus. So I haven't been transformed, but I have been turned towards the gospel and I'm listening and I'm curious and I'm wondering but because the soil is thin very quickly I get pulled away and it's like ah, I'm just not into that that's what was happening here now the, the third thing is soil that was rocky excuse me soil that was thorny he says verse six of uh, verse seven other seed fell along among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it 
Don't you like that metaphor, that, 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 that imagery there? The, the seed, uh, the, the, the plant came up, but the thorns choked it. Doesn't that remind you of the devil? He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And when I think of choke, I never, normally don't think of it like this. I'm thinking of came up and just strangled it. There is a spiritual war going on in people. When the word of God is planted in somebody, it begins a war in their life. And even though God is at work, the enemy comes full force against them as well. All kinds of things happen. And there's this, this eternal struggle going on. Because the word of God is the only thing that truly transforms lives. It will take the worst of the worst and turn them into someone who is completely redeemed, completely changed, completely transformed. By the, word, by the way, when we talk about transformation... The word that we're using to give you a mental image, it's metamorphosis. It's, it's a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. Butterflies look nothing like caterpillars. Caterpillars are nasty. They got a bunch of legs and they're, they're fuzzy and furry and all those kind of things. They go into this cocoon and there's this transformation that happens. And when they come out, they're beautiful. And people actually build gardens and they do things to feed them in their yard. And we have people in here who do that, right? That metamorphosis is what happens when the seed that is planted sprouts and grows and is fruitful. Now, interestingly enough, when Jesus explains the parable in a few verses later, he, he explains that one of, the, one of the thorns in a person's life is the deceitfulness of wealth. We talked about that a little bit last week. The deceitfulness of wealth. A person starts to, to see the stuff and the things that that conflict with the gospel in their life. And so it strangles the truth. And they leave the gospel and go follow whatever their own heart and flesh desires. But then there's a fourth place. And the fourth place, still other, verse 8, still other seed fell on good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. That is the one who is truly born again. That is the one who's been transformed and changed, who's, who's been uh, uh, metamorphosized. I don't know if that's a word, right? It's a new word now. Been changed by this word, and the change is so dramatic that it's obvious. In fact, Jesus talks about that in verse 21. The next parable, he says, he also said to them, is a lamp brought in, in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it put on a lampstand? There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about the fact that when there's a change, that change is obvious, right? doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you'll never struggle. It means that Jesus has birthed in you something that is eternal. That's why the scripture says that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it most abundantly. That's what he means. And so we look at this passage and we see the four different places that the seed can be sown. But we go back to the beginning. Consider the man or consider the sower who went out to sow. None of that happens without three things. You got to have a sower. You got to have seed. And you got to have soil. That's it. Seed. Or sower, seed, and soil. Now, 
my prayer, and I, and I feel like we've been doing well at this, and I want us to continue to do more of this. My prayer is that we will continually get more and more seed to sow. That we're like seed chunkers, right? That would be a good t-shirt. I'm a seed chunker. I'm a seed chunker. That's, that, I kind of like that. People go, you're a what? I'm a seed chunker. Why? Because we're always looking at possibilities. Where can we throw the seed? And you know what's funny? If you go to, a, if you go to the country, you will find places that, are being harv- uh, places that are being planted that you're like, wow, that's unique. I mean, they'll plant right up to the edge of a place. They'll plant little teeny tiny places. It, it's, it's anywhere there's soil. If they can think they can get something to grow, they're going to give it a shot. Why? Because soil is money. Good soil is a harvest. Farmers know this. And so for us as a church, we should always be looking outside of our own building and going, where can we throw, where can we chunk some seed? Because if we chunk it, maybe something will grow. By the way, farmers have to buy seed. We get it for free. In fact, the good thing about our seed is our seed has a bottomless supply. It's, it's, it's endless. In fact, it's actually not only endless, but the more seed we throw, the more seed we get. Because Jesus said to those who've been given much, much is required. Those who have done well with the little, they're going to be given more, right? This is why I don't worry much about us and, and whether or not we're going to make it. Because I know that God is always going to bless his people when his people are going and sowing. He always does. And so when Jesus explains this parable in verse 13, he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows what? The word. All the way back, we have the right foundation. The word of God is the power of God for salvation for all who will believe. That's why I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? My opinion won't change anybody's life. Might make you mad, but I'm not going to change your life. The word of God, the Bible says, will never come back void. And here's what's beautiful about this. The moment it leaves our hands, we say to God, God, it's in your hands. And sometimes it falls on ground and then we see nothing. It's almost like the seed goes dormant. We walk away and years later, years later, we come back and go, wow, look at that. I heard a story. I'm going to share it. Can I share the story, Jennifer, that you told me about what was his name? Chuck. I heard a story, blew me away. And, and God used this story to just plant this truth inside of my heart and encourage me. So, I don't know, 10 years ago, I preached a revival at a little church in Pensacola. I think it was about 10 years ago. The, the, the facts are just made up. No, I'm just kidding. The, the, the facts are basically, the, the guts are there. I preached this revival, and it was this little, little country church in Pensacola. Nobody moved. I mean, I preached my guts out. And I was like, well, I guess that was a good practice, right? I was kind of discouraged because I was, I was really thinking, man, this is, this is good stuff if I do say so myself, right? I mean, I was thinking somebody should move, somebody should do, nobody moved at all. Well, just this past year, Jennifer told me, she said, oh, but by the way, Chuck said that he, if I can remember the facts correctly, he was on house arrest. And the only way to get out of house was to go to church. 
And since there was a revival at that little church around the corner, he knew that he could go to the church and get out of the house. And that was better than staying in the house. So he went to the church and he said he listened and the gospel gripped him. And he wanted to make a decision for Christ. He wanted to come forward at the invitation, but he looked around and nobody was moving. And so he said, well, I guess that's not what I'm supposed to do. And then through a series of events and hearing the gospel several other times, he trusted Christ. His life was radically changed. He's now pastoring a church and he's now aggressively helping addicts who live the same kind of life as him find freedom through Jesus. Who knew? And when I'm told this story, I'm going, wow, may I never judge the success of a sermon by who moved ever again. Don't ever judge the, sow, the seed you sow. By whether somebody receives it or not. Because your job is not to make them receive it. Your job is to be a mailman. This is my favorite illustration. You know what a mailman does? A mailman turns off his truck. Gets the mail. He walks up to the door. He sticks it in the mailbox. And he walks back to his truck. You ever see a mailman go there? Knock on the door. Wait. Here, take the mail. I don't want the mail. Well, I'm not leaving until you take the mail. No, no, a mailman knows his job is not to make you open the mail. We throw half of it away anyways, right? You want to talk about a sermon illustration? We throw it away. In fact, people throw away. People receive a mail and they look at it and they're like, I'm not interested. They throw it away, not realizing that inside of that letter is life like they've never seen and experienced before. But the cool thing is, God often sends them the same letter day after day after day, right? So anyways, that's my mailman story. We don't know, but we must go and sow. So can I share with you how we have sown in 2022? This is not everything that we've done. This is just some of what we've done. But I just want you to get a real sense of our going and sowing capacity here. And I want to also remind you that we've done this on a basic, basically a shoestring budget. Could you imagine if we had a million dollars just to go and sow? Oh, my goodness. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? 2022, we're going to actually start in the uh, uh, about Christmas time of 2021. Because a tornado touched down in the, uh, around the Kentucky area and it destroyed this, this two or three mile path of, of, of homes and businesses for several miles, 100 miles. One of those churches was First Baptist Mayfield, Kentucky. Well, the day after the tornado came through, I realized that the pastor of that church is a friend of mine who I've known for 20 years. And so I called him and, of course, you know, we, we understand hurricanes and tornadoes are kind of similar. I said, listen, we're going to bring you some supplies. So we threw it out on Facebook and within three or four hours had a load of supplies. So much so that it bent the axle on the 12 foot trailer. Let me tell you, there's a whole story to that. God actually, I'm convinced it was God's protection because we pulled off to meet somebody for lunch in uh, Montgomery or Birmingham area. And when we did, I happened to look down and noticed that the tire was about to blow. Had we not, I mean, like we could see the metal of the tire. Had we not stopped in that spot, and it happened to be that we were eating next to a tire, uh, a tire shop, right? Had we not stopped, we'd have, had a, we'd have had goods and supplies all over the interstate. It would have been bad. So we took these supplies up. While we were there, actually, 
uh, we got there about 10 p.m. that night, and when we were talking to the pastor, he, he said, I got to go because CNN wants to interview me. He went out, and we watched it on our phones while he interviewed with um, Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper gave him all the time in the world. And my friend, I told him, I said, man, God has gifted you in that moment because he clearly shared the power of the gospel. And that news message went all over the world. He heard from people all over the world. Man, I saw you on TV. Great job. It was amazing. We were the first ones there with a load of stuff for him. All the, Why? Because we get it. We've been there, right? So we started with that, and then the first of the year, we did our last semester of Grief Share. This was our ministry to those who were dealing with death and loss in their family. And I can't even tell you how deeply that impacted the people who, have, who had come. Now, we have, we have put a pause on that because our leadership, frankly, was tired, and they needed to rest. I fully supported that. But the work that they did for multiple semesters of Grief Share cannot be measured. And out of that came gospel fruit. So we also went to baseball country, which is, just, which is just south of Tuscaloosa, your hometown. Baseball country is a ministry that, that reaches out to the underprivileged and the underserved of one of the poorest counties in Alabama. We went there with some supplies that they could use to reach these kids. But while we were there, we set up a makeshift studio and we filmed an interview with the director. We then took that video back here. We created a 10-minute uh, presentation. We bought a billboard at the high school uh, baseball stadium that said mystorychange.com and we invited people to go and click on that and there are several thousand people from all over the country and at this point probably all over the world that have watched his testimony because we videoed it and had it edited right here out of Gulf Breeze, Florida. We had major help and work with Life Options Clinic. That's a ministry in Santa Rosa County that helps women who discover that they're pregnant and they're not sure what to do with the baby. It helps them have some options for life, either adoption or having the baby. It provides the prenatal care. It provides the, the, the uh, help after the baby's born. It's an amazing ministry, and every single person that comes in gets to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to receive the grace of God freely given and uh, uh, freely, uh, freely given and freely believed. We've helped with financial things. We've helped with supplies. We've helped in many different ways with them. We sent a team to Guatemala two different times, as far as I know. One of those times, just a couple of months ago, in one day, they treated over 500 patients in one day. Imagine treating 500 patients in the mountains of Guatemala in one day. You want to talk about a tired group of people. Every single person that come through had a chance to be prayed for, had a chance, had a chance to be ministered to, and if they were receptive, had a chance to hear the gospel. We had a yard sale early on in the year, and that yard sale funded our students going to a leadership trip, but every bit of junk that we had left over from the yard sale went to First Baptist Inslee so that they could sell it in their uh, secondhand store. The funds they got from that, they were able to put back into their homeless ministry where every single week they provide showers and they provide food and they provide encouragement and love for a homeless population in Pensacola. We were able to work with multiple foster families. We had a group of young adults who spent an entire evening, about three or four hours, making... How many meals did y'all make? Do you, remember, do you recall? It was dozens, wasn't it? 
They made pre-made meals, packaged them, and froze them because when a foster family finds out they're having a kid, a lot of time it's, it's at the last minute, and those meals would be able to be given to the family when the kid comes to the house so that they don't have to worry about cooking something. They can worry about getting the kid settled in. And by the way, we also collected dozens and dozens and dozens of suitcases and bags so that when a kid is told in the middle of the night, hey, you have to leave this house, they don't have to put the small belongings that they own in a garbage bag. Put it in their own bag. You did that. And all you did was go, hey, I got a few extra bucks. I've got six of them in my, in my closet. I don't need six. I only need five. Remember those? Sorry, that... We opened up our home, or, or, and for the other foster families, we, we helped give Christmas to over 450 foster kids. I think it was more like 500 at this point. Some of it was funding, some of it was gifts, and some of it was just connecting with other people so that they could help, so that none of these kids have to do Christmas without something for Christmas. We opened up our building on Tuesdays for Classical Conversations, which is a homeschooling cooperative. So Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, there's about 50 or so kids that learn here, not only the scripture, but they also learn their basic uh, read, reading, writing, arithmetic. We had a dental bus earlier in the year, and through that dental bus, we had 60 to 75 patients who got dental care that otherwise would not have gotten it because they were uninsured and because they were, uh, uh, did not have the funds to do it. We relieved pain for multiple people. They came in obviously in great pain, and they left with relief. But every person that came in had a chance to be loved and had a chance to hear the gospel should they receive that. We started the PSC lunches. Every single Monday or every other Monday we went to PSC. I, I want you to realize we started that. Like they had nothing there and we said, hey, maybe we can do this. That was one of those, let's just throw out the seed and see what will grow. Well, guess what? This coming semester, we're only going to do it once a month because there are so many churches who want to be a part of that that we can't take up a space because another church needs to be a part of it because that's the goal. Spread it, right? Build something. Out of that ministry, we also have somebody out of our own church who's going to go take over the Bible study there. And they have about 20 to 25 kids every single week who come just to ask questions about the scripture and hear the gospel. And these 20 to 25 are not necessarily believers. They're searchers. They're looking for answers and they're asking questions. We have a ministry at Waterfront. We not only create, well, cook food, but we also take it and serve it. And then we've been doing a Bible study each and every month there. We had an addiction awareness walk to where we gathered people from all over, really all over the area. And I don't, do you remember how many people walked on that? I don't know if we even counted. 250, 300 people gathered on the bridge to walk across the bridge to bring awareness to the crisis of overdose uh, um, for fam that, that families are dealing with. And not only was that covered by the news, but it also gave hope to some families that were there to remember that they're not alone in this fight. We have families that personally dealt with that, and it, and it gave us a chance to link arms and say, listen, we get it. As best as we can, we get it, and you're not alone. And out of that walk, we started a ministry here called Not Alone, where every Monday night, the building is open over here, and people can come. And if they have addicts in their family, they can come and discover what it is like to be able to um, I'm not getting the wording right, but basically uh, to where they can come and talk about how to deal with it. 
because there's, there's nothing out there for the families. We have a family who's been doing that faithfully. And I can't tell you the stories, they're confidential, but believe me when I tell you that God has blessed that ministry phenomenally. Sometimes it's one person that shows up and that's all that needs to show up because they need all of the attention for that night. Super cool stories. We had a Compassion Sunday and out of this church we sponsored about 30 kids. About 30 different kids. Most of them in Guatemala. We have some other countries sponsored as well. But out of those sponsorships, for the next 10 or 15 years, we'll not only be helping a kid have food, but we'll also help him to have an education and to hear the gospel. And it's not just one kid. It's his entire family. Compassion says that one kid equals 15 people in the family will hear the gospel and hopefully receive the gospel. And all of that, by the way, is church-based in whatever country it's in. We had a community egg hunt. We had 100-something people here for that. We sent a team to Mission Anniston, Anniston, Alabama, and they were able to minister for a week doing ministry at a church there. We had a major rebuilding of Beach Haven Baptist Church. You don't know this, but somebody in our church donated the money. They wrote a check so that this church could have a roof put on their building. They were damaged in Sally. They had holes in the roof. They had mold damage. And they had no insurance and no hope at all for putting a roof on. Somebody called me out of the blue and said, Jeff... I got some money I want to give, and I'm thinking about maybe helping Beach Haven. What do they need? And I said, well, they need a roof. It's about $30,000. They said, I'll write a check today. So I went over to the pastor, and I said, hey, Ken, uh, you need a roof, right? He goes, yeah, I need a roof. been praying for it. Well, your prayers are answered. He fell to the floor. He's like, I can't. I mean, he was speechless. Then we sent a team of youth, I think it was this summer, we sent a team of youth over there to do inside work to try to clean up the mess that had happened because of the roof. It's a beautiful thing. I talked to Ken last week, the pastor, and he told me, I think they've baptized, it was either 15 or 12, or it was, it was more people this year they've baptized than they have baptized in years. When I say years, I mean probably 20 years. We had a little piece of that. How cool is that? By the way, for those of you who are relatively new, God put Beach Haven, the area, on my heart and on our heart as a church probably 15 years ago. I've got pictures in my iPad of the work that we used to do in Beach Haven. That door closed, and for about five years it's been closed. Little did we know that that connection would spark this work with Beach Haven Baptist Church, and now they're carrying on the work. And maybe you don't know this, but Saga spent an entire year assisting the pastor there completely volunteer. He was there every single week, two or three days a week, just to love on the pastor and love on the church and love on the community. And then thankfully, God sent him back here. We did an OG Pastor Virtual Summit, which if you remember what that is, we filmed nine pastors with a combined pastoral experience of over 450 years. And that has been put on the web and it will impact eventually thousands upon thousands of pastors to encourage them to not give up and not to seek celebrity status as a pastor, but to be a shepherd of the people that God has put into their fold. We have connected with a ministry called Pastors Workshop. It's basically online seminary that is going into all the countries of the world, in Africa predominantly, but it's also in several Muslim countries. And I was told just a few weeks ago that the door and the pathway to Asia, so China, Taiwan, all those areas, the, 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 the roads are already built. And I said, you're telling me that the only thing we need is to create the teaching in their language and it can go? He said, that's all we need. I said, well, the good news is we're just about to finish our studio. And guess what, folks? We have finished our studio. We've built a studio completely, completely ready 
to start shooting these videos that we can put out all over the world, sowing seed, sowing seed. And we're going to be able to use that studio for pastor's workshop to train pastors in multiple countries. I'm so excited. I hope you are too. We finally adopted a UUPG, an unengaged, unreached people group. This is a group of people at the ends of the earth that nobody is currently trying to reach. And we've linked up with some uh, missionaries and we've said to them, we will be your partners to do this. And they've said to us, you are our first partners. They were so excited to have a church here say, we are with you to the end. They're actually going to be here in January and you're going to get to meet them face to face. We sent a team to uh, Niceville to help a Gold Star family. Gold Star family is someone who's lost a loved one in uh, the military uh, in, in combat. So this family lost their father, their husband. When I was talking to, to her, I said, what, what do you need? How, how can we help you? She said, you know, my garage is full of boxes that I just can't go through. It's got all, I just can't tackle it. We said, we'll send a team. So we took a team of about 12 or 13 people from this church on a Saturday morning. We drove over there and by noon she could park her car in her garage. I understood why it was so hard because in those boxes were much of her husband's stuff. Even though he was killed in action 10 years ago, you can only imagine the, the struggle and the difficulty of having to do that. You blessed this family as a church. We've been a BCM host, Baptist Campus Ministry host for UWF on multiple occasions. We opened up our building for BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, on Thursdays. They meet here every single week. We also have the Gideons who meet here once a month. We did over 500 Christmas shoe boxes to send out all over the world. We started a, a relationship with a ministry called Behind the Walls. And in February, we're going to have a wide open opportunity to go into the Santa Rosa County Annex and preach the gospel to almost 2,000 inmates. And here's the cool thing, guys. They wanted to come to this area, but had nobody who will host them. Through the OG pastor conference, I heard about them. I said, well, we'll do it. Not knowing how we'd pay for it, not knowing how we'd find the people, but it was the right thing to do. You want to know why? Because Jesus said that if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And what I know is that Jesus said that when you take care of the little things and you take care of the, the, the things that, that, that are important to the heart of God, God is going to honor and bless you in a way that you can't even possibly imagine it. Do you see these things? The homeless, the broken, the hurting, the physically uh, um, hurting, the addicted, the child, the widow, the orphan. This is what we do. This is what we've done in just 2022. Did you have any idea we did that much? Not only that, but we have a TV ministry that every week goes on to Blab TV. And I, I'm, I'm shocked at how often somebody says, I listened to the message on TV and it was exactly what I needed, exactly the right time. We went to somebody's house on Tuesday and sang a Christmas carol to one of our senior adults. And she said, thank you so much for doing the TV thing because I'm able to watch my home church from home because she can't leave her home completely isolated. It was a blessing to know that God is using that. We've done an outside renovation. We've done an inside renovation. And we baptized about 10 people this year. This is not everything. These are just the things off the top of my head I could think of. Are you surprised? Again, the only bragging that we can own on this is that God has been faithful because we have been obedient. 
That's it. So my prayer for you and for me is this. Will we grab a hold of the go and so heartbeat? And let's not stop. Let's not, let's not lighten up. I, I, I actually writing this list, I was like, well, dang, no wonder we're tired. Man, in the midst of all that, we've had staff changes. We've had all kinds. Of, this has been a wild year. But God has blessed us amazingly. So if you ever ask yourself the question, where does my money go when I give? That's where it goes. If you ever ask the question, why should I come and faithfully be a part of the church week in and week out? Because you can't do this on your own. None of us could. But together, we can lock arms. We can share Jesus. I'm convinced that one day we're all going to be standing in the halls of heaven. Maybe a, a story point reunion. Hopefully it's a long time from now. Uh, we're going to have this reunion and, and we're just going, hey, y'all, let's, let's get together again. And God's going to go, hey, I, I, you, you mind if I invite some friends? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, guys, come on over. And we're going to see a sea of people come and walk into the room. We're going to be like, so, so where are y'all from? They're going to say, we're here. Because you cared enough to go and sow. It's God that brings the harvest. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 47, 48, he says, The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers who are few. May God keep us faithful to be laborers. Amen? Will you stand? Thank you so much for listening to my list, to our list. But I pray what you'll hear out of that is the excitement of being a part of God's family, being a part of God's local church. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about